Hello, it's Larry Clark with Excelsior Music Publishing. We're going to take a little different approach to the From the Composer podcast today, and we're going to be talking to composers as they are asked questions by an actual music educator. So we're going to start today with composer Ed Kiefer. Hello, it's Larry Clark, and we're doing another Meet the Composer video today. And today we have composer Ed Kiefer, along with band director David Deese, who's going to do the interview with some of his students, as you can probably already see. So uh, take it away, David and Ed. Thanks, uh, thanks Larry. But, and also, I want to thank you for doing this series, um, because sure. I think it's important uh, for kids to, to see that some composers are still alive. Um, and, you know, not all composers are, you know, 1700s and right. uh, being able to talk to an actual composer. Ed, you, you are alive, correct? As far as I've, last time I checked, yeah. Okay, I'm still alive. good. So we're in good shape there. So thank you, Larry, for, for this opportunity. You're welcome. Um, Ed, uh, what would you like to say uh, just as a getting started here about, you know, how odd these times are right now? Well, I want to thank Larry, too, for doing this. I think it's really hard on band students in particular not be able to meet together. We talked a little bit yesterday about how important it is. Band is not just an art. We're not just making art music. We're, it's a social thing. We like to get together. We, we like making music, but we really, really love making music with our friends. And that's been taken, just jerked away from us for weeks and now months. And... I know how hard it is for those folks and not just the students, but the band directors are not getting to interact with their students. And you get that constant feedback that makes you a better teacher, makes them better students. You figure out what you need to do next. And this is a really not a good substitute, but at least it's something. And it's really good that, you know, teachers can go online and do some things. Right. Yeah, very much so. Um, your background very quickly is just, uh, you know, middle school, high school, college, all those years teaching, and then you began to compose. Um, can you identify uh, what, what, uh, how it was that you started to want to compose original songs? Well, I, I did some, I, I, I did some col uh, composition in college. I actually wrote one of my senior recital pieces and um, was really interested in. I think I've been interested in it for a really, really long time. But then you start teaching, and I had a band with 20 kids in it, and it was terrible, and trying to make something happen at East Davidson was really hard. And, you know, 28 years later, I've worked really hard at that and haven't had the time to spend to compose. So uh, when I got to college and they wanted me to be published, the first thing I did was send Larry a piece, and and he published it. It's, it's turned out real well for me. I've been doing that ever since. Awesome. Um, the difference between composing and arranging, uh, can you speak about that? Yeah, well, compose, the basic difference is composing is, is you're taking your ideas. And uh, arranging is you take somebody else's music and you set it so that it'll work for whatever group. If you're writing for a concert band or maybe you're writing for a marching band or a jazz ensemble you take this piece that maybe you heard on the radio and you write for them that's arranging now there's a kind of a line that's not it's uh it's, it's not real defined because i would call some settings of folk tunes compositions because they're so creative and they use so many different original ideas inside the arrangement so you know it's it's 
a little, mostly composition is your ideas and arranging is putting other people's ideas into music. Okay, I, I know that uh, the arrangements that you and I wrote together um, over the last 28 years, um, we collaborated in that you wrote all the, the wind parts and you really constructed and made the form of the piece and I wrote the percussion parts. But uh, what can you say to these kids about uh, if they're wanting to get started, whether it's arranging, composing or whatever, uh, is collaborating a good idea? Well, for some students, it might be a really good idea. I don't know. I mean, I know for me, I don't, sometimes I don't work well with others. So me, <laughs> me, me writing by myself works better for me. Now having somebody, David Kirby, a really good friend of mine who's passed away, he used to look at my music and say, no, no, that, I don't like that ending. And I could trust him to know that that was a bad ending or that that needed to be changed or it needs to be longer or what he would tell me things. But as far as writing with me, he didn't do that. But for some students, that might be the way to go. You know, somebody might want to write a melody, and somebody else might want to try to fill in some harmony. That might be a fun way to do it. Uh, just depends on, you know, again, it's music with your friends. If you find somebody you really like and is talented, it's about the level you are, maybe, you know, so close. And it might be fun to do that. I don't know. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, getting started, because most uh, students, um, well, you can see here that Madeline has asked, uh, what's the best piece of advice you would uh, give to somebody who wants to get started composing? To a young, to a, you know, let's say a high school age student. I think the best thing would be to um, just do it. Just get started and do it. Um, that, that would, I think that'd be the best thing to do. Because you know, when you, you know, write something for your instrument that you understand, you know, if you play the piano or if you play the euphonium, write something for your instrument and then get it worked out to where you like it. And then maybe write for a duet with two of your instruments and get started there. Then get a friend to play along with you and you can get feedback from your friend over what works and what doesn't work, what sounds good, what doesn't sound good. Then you go back to the drawing board, maybe write your next tune. You've learned a little bit. It's, it's a cycle just like learning how to play flute or trumpet. You start with basics, then you just kind of, you know, fundamentals and then technique and then expressiveness, and you keep going and going and going until, you know, each level has to has to grow. It's the same with writing. It's no different. Well, uh, next, um, with technology, for you know, we get to do neat things like this with the Zoom, and I know that you use uh, the Finale program, I believe, for, for your writing. Um, do you miss or is the technology when you hear it played back by machines, does that give you enough uh, feedback? I, I think it can maybe help to see, to catch a wrong note or something, but I was really lucky in high school. I had a, a theory teacher that made a sight sing all the time. And so, Unlike a lot of people come out of college now, I can look at a score and I know what it sounds like. And I, you know, trumpets sound a lot different in real life than they do on the computer. You can take uh, two trumpets and two flutes and write a quartet. Unless you really know what you're doing, you're probably not going to hear the flutes. But on finale, all four parts are getting played back probably pretty well, and it would sound pretty good to you. Uh, and that's true for all of it. But finale plays everything in pitch. 
there's no bad notes on an instrument like there is in real life. You, you just end up uh, fooling yourself sometimes if you use the finale playback. I think maybe a, a good place to start, especially for a student, I think it's a great place to start. But then when you get in real life, you got to always go back and play your tune with the group that you wrote it for so you know, wow, right. that sounds a little lot different than my computer. You know, the computer doesn't make any mistakes either. That people generally make mistakes when they're playing music. The human element of, uh, I know there's times when you've been working on pieces that you'll bring them over to uh, our band room and let our band uh, play it some so you can just get a, a feel for, you know, human beings playing it. How important is that? Oh, I think it's, I think it's really important. You know, it's, it's, especially when you're writing lower level music, you know, uh, that's accessible for younger students. You may think that, oh, this lick's not hard, this rhythm's not hard, and then everybody in the band room struggles with it. You're thinking, well, that's a lot harder than I thought it was. I need to back down and write something a little bit different here. You know, when you're striving for a grade two or a grade one or a grade three, sometimes you have to think those things. And it's, you don't really know until you get in front of somebody how it's going to be. Right. Well, um, <clears throat> when you, oh, where are you? Uh, geographically, when you get your best ideas, outside, inside, at the computer, it's all different places. And and you know, I'm not I'm not trying to write eight pieces a year, or ten pieces a year, and churn out music. I'm trying to just write two or three or four pieces a year and do something good with it. And you know, I, I'm not maybe as good as some composers. And uh, for me to write eight pieces, I'm sure they wouldn't be very good when I got done. But for me, the idea is just whenever you happen to have one, I, I, a lot of times I just sing, sing it into my phone or make a note, you know, in my phone up in the, on my memo pad about if it's a harmony or something I can't sing. I think it's really, uh, a lot of times I'm outside, riding my bike, um, backpacking, uh, hiking, uh, mowing the grass, you know, when, you, when your mind's got time to think about other things. Uh, it's, a lot, it's, a, it's a time when I, have some, some ideas. Sometimes you're good, you get back and the next day you look at it and you go, that's a terrible idea. Just delete it, you know. Right. That's the way it goes sometimes. It sounds, sometimes it sounds great in your head, but when you start trying to write it down, it really isn't a very good idea. Okay, along those lines, if you have uh, kids, you know, again, we're speaking mostly high school kids here, maybe some college kids, um, it can be embarrassing the creative process can be embarrassing uh, to, to open yourself up to criticism of your peers, uh, a lot like jazz improv, you know, and that's why I think a lot of people struggle uh, because they're worried what people are going to think. Is it that same way with composing? Well, I don't know how it is for everybody else, but for me, it's very scary. I mean, there's a lot of fear involved with writing and then you get it all ready and you send it to a publisher or you have a group play it. I can remember one time I was really struggling with a piece and I was writing for a friend of mine who had passed away. And I wrote this, I thought it was really going to be pretty. And I set it in front of a band, a, good, a fairly decent band, and there just wasn't enough meat in it. So even though it was really pretty it, and it's expressive, it, it didn't have anything for the kids to do. There was no fingers to move. There was just, it was, just wasn't enough. I took it away. I completely changed it. Used some of the better ideas. It came back and came out pretty well. It's called Resignation. And uh, 
it's it, it's a, it's a pretty moving piece now. And I think if I hadn't had that feedback and the fear of doing a piece that nobody's you know, gonna like, even though I liked it, there's there's just fear. It's just you know the scariest thing is your next piece. Your last piece was good, or maybe your last piece was bad, and the piece before that was bad. I don't know. But you've got at some point you got to start writing good music, and so it's scary when you sit down with nothing, you know, to, to try to start doing that. It is scary, and I. And for a student, I think it'd be really scary when they first start doing that. I would think that'd be really, really scary. Larry, do you ever get scared writing? Uh, every piece. There you go. And he's, you know, he's waiting. Most composers he's are like that. No, no, no. Most composers are like that. It's like, I don't know if I have any more notes left, or I don't, I don't know if I can write another good tune. It's, but, you know, I, I think I talked with you one day on the phone, David. People talk about writer's block. You know, they can't come up with an idea. And Hemingway said, as a writer, as a literary writer, he said, you have to write every day, and even if it's bad, you keep on writing. You don't get up out of your chair and say, well, I don't have any ideas today. You sit down and you write, and then tomorrow when you come in, you say, this is terrible, but something that you wrote is going to kick a spark somewhere or something else, and maybe completely different. You may have been right trying to write a march, and all of a sudden there's some melody that you threw into a ballad, and that works. And now you've got something to go. But had you not sat down and slogged through the bad stuff the day before, you'd have nothing for today. And that's what he said, too, about writing. I mean, he had such a writer's block, he wrote a whole chapter on having a writer's block. Oh, yeah. There's a really good book. It's called The War of Art. But, but Stephen Pressfield, he's actually uh, the author of the the book and now now it's a movie the legend of bagger vance which is like the golf movie right seen it that that yeah. he wrote that uh, original novel that it's based on and he has a whole book that's on just nothing but writer's block essentially there's another book david called uh, effortless mastery and it's more uh, spiritual based and it says when we create and it depends on your religion and how you feel about religion but when you create you're not creating you're recreating so God is not going to write anything bad through you. You have to put down what he sends you, and you do it, and if it's sometimes there's a reason that it's not good. So you have to understand that it's not just you. It's your experiences. It's your religions, your faith. It's your friends. It's your where you've been. All that stuff adds up, and sometimes you stumble on something good. Are there any... Uh topics um you, you mentioned that you had to write a, a piece for a friend of yours that had passed away i can imagine that would be very difficult uh how important is it to have something really special to be writing about or having a a, a reason to be writing something well sometimes you get lazy if you don't have a you know i need a piece by october so i mean sometimes that pushes you to do things um but when you can get involved with something, that's good. But sometimes I do a lot better if, if somebody who commissions me says, you know, we like your music. I've got a guy I've been talking to that uh, has a community man that we'll be writing for. And he says, you know, we really like your music. Write something. There's no parameters. And now that may be harder, but if you go off in a direction and somebody's asked for this direction, then you're kind of like, well, I can't use this. And I say, I'm not, I'm not writing eight pieces or 10 pieces a year. So, if I sit down and write three or four pieces, I kind of got to stay in the groove where he wants me or she wants me. And that may not be the best for me. 
But I, but if somebody passes away in their van, I've written pieces like that in memory, and they say this person is a real bub was a real bubbly person, and everybody liked her, and and then I wrote uh, that sore high man, and it's real bubbly, and it's, it's done really well, and it's just a. Uh, it was fun to write because all the kids in the eighth grade wrote me a letter about her life and what they thought of her. And of course, one kid wants something really sad. One kid wants something happy. One kid, he was shooting a percussionist. Let's write something with lots of percussion. And of course, you can't do everything. But it was interesting to do that. And I felt more involved with that particular piece. And I may have some of the others I've written. Um, how important as, as a composer is the the other component of, of your career, the uh, teaching and hands-on and being with the kids, uh, would one be as fulfilling without the other? For me, I love, I love working with kids. And, and for me, it's, it's all about seeing that student, whether it's seventh grade or 10th grade, turn on the music. And all of a sudden they go, wow, I get it now. I really get music. To me, that's what I taught for all my life. So I made it so long. If you don't have a goal like that, if your goal is to conduct, to be a great conductor, or to win a bunch of trophies or whatever, you're not going to make it. You've got to have that intrinsic thing that you want these kids to, to experience what you experience. So for me, working with the kids is the, my, my favorite thing. Composing gets me in front of a lot of different kids, taking me all over the country and Europe, and it's fun to go somewhere and the kids are going, wow, man, we love your, whatever, your piece. That's just, you know, it's just a great piece. And, and you get to conduct it or maybe teach it. That's really fun. And I, like I said yesterday, it's really humiliating to, or humbling to go into a middle school band room and the, some seventh grader says, well, I don't really like this piece. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, but it happens, you know. And then on the other hand, there'll be a band you walk into, a college band or a high school band and say, man, this is, the, my favorite piece I've played all year long. And that's really, really fun too. So getting that feedback from other people, sit, sitting at my computer, just writing and not really getting to be a part of the other, I don't think I would stick with it very long. It's, it's, it's fulfilling in a different way. But putting together performing, conducting, doing clinics and teaching kids, and composing, doing all four, keeps anything from being boring. Now, sometimes I don't write as much music as Larry would like me to write. I know, send him enough music. But it, that's, it's just a, a balancing thing for me, for my mental health. And I mean, these kids like Camden and Walker, uh, Natalie, Madeline. I mean, these, these are great kids, and they're really fun to get and stand in front of and, and get to make music with them. I, I work with professionals in the North Carolina Brass Band. And you talk about fun when you have pros playing music. Maybe, maybe I've arranged something or written something for them, and they're playing it, and they love it. And they all sit up straight, and there's, you can just tell it's not just another press band piece. They love it, you know, and that is really good, too. But it's not any better than the seventh grade liking my piece. It's not, for me, it's not any better. I like, I, I like just getting that kind of feedback. So the, the gratification in, in composing for you uh, is, is not the completion and publishing of a piece. It's... It's taking that published piece and making music with people. That's more for me. Yeah. I mean, publishing a piece, put your name out there. And a lot of these opportunities that I've had in Wisconsin and Oregon and all those places I've been, it's because Larry or somebody has decided my music's good enough to put out there. 
without that, I wouldn't get to do get to do those things. I really enjoy working with the kids. That's the most fun thing. And you know, taking a piece and I scribbled with it on my computer for a month or so, and going to your band room and having the kids read it. That's fun, you know. And then I go back to the computer and say, "Wow, that just didn't sound anything like I thought it was going to." But most of the time it does, you know. But sometimes there's a place here or there that you really say, "That's, you know, that was just too thick. I don't need it to be that thick." I saw a question from Walker. Did you see that? Are, are you ready for questions or not? Yeah, yeah, sure. So Walker is a college student, and he asked me, uh, "How do you tell a person what kind of tone to play with in a solo?" For uh, when you write a piece, so else. I think it's a good question because we have in our minds different sounds that we want as composers. There is a characteristic sound for each instrument. And when we write, normally we assume that the saxophone player, which is what Walker plays, is going to play with this characteristic alto sax sound. But you know, if I'm writing something for jazz band, I might write subtone, which makes it more like a whispering sound, a lot of real airy sound, a lot of vibrato. Or I might um, write a note in there that says, uh, uh, play under the horns. So you have all the saxophones playing, maybe double with a horn, but you really want to hear the horns. You just want the saxophones to, to beat them up a little bit. So you can write little notes like that if you want to. Camden wants to know, uh, if you were looking for inspiration as a composer, what do you do? I think you just got to sit down and, and, and write. But remember we talked about last night too, the more you listen to good music, you know, if you're really listening, it depends on where your level is. And as we get older, our tension, we have to have more and more tension to make a piece interesting. So, you know, you know, when you're like two years old, twinkle, twinkle, little star, we go off the tonic, we come back to the tonic. That's enough. That's all I can handle on, too. Okay. And we might like that song for the rest of our lives because we heard it when we were two and it brings back all these social things. But at some point, the tension's got to get more. And so, when you first start listening, you may be really turned on to uh, rock music, which has tension in it, but it's not that difficult to figure out form and chords and that kind of thing. And then somewhere along the way, you start studying, get better, and you, you start liking maybe some of your band music. You, you get into some Granger, and you're like, wow, this is what he does with colors is unbelievable. Or maybe I love, even though it's simple, I love. Aaron Copeland and Shostakovich is not simple, but Aaron Copeland, nice and simple, nice and open, folk tones a lot of times, just beautiful music. He's my hero. I mean, I wish I could write like that. But, but it, he's, you know, that, so uh, you, if, you, if you just listen to music, then that stuff's going to be rolling around in your head. And some of those ideas are going to morph and they come out. Not that you're going to write a song that's going to sound like Aaron Copeland necessarily. But you have a lot of you have more of a place to go through. So it's kind of like you're trying to write a novel and you only know 12 words. As you more and more you read, the more words you have and the more you can put things together. So Does that answer your question? It's it's kind of like uh, you know anything else. With experience, you'll get you'll get better at it. And and for young com people wanting to try uh, to start writing music, I would say that's an encouraging thing, not a discouraging thing. I mean, it's going to be that way with with whatever you do. Um, but yeah, the, the, I think the best advice that I've heard, uh, Ed, that you said that you got, and I got from, um, college professors, just do it. Right. Get started doing it. And I like the, your idea of, you know, if you're a trumpet player, 
you know, write for trumpet because you know the trumpet, you know what works and what doesn't. Later on, if you're going to add a, a French horn into it, you know, you're, you're, you could have your friend play and they can say, look, man, French horns don't play that note, you know. And then, of course, when you get, uh, you know, like you guys who are composers, of course, the amount of stuff that you know is, is crazy. Um, I don't know a lot, but I'm trying to learn a little. Preston Sparks, or Preston wants to know, uh, how do you put emotion into the pieces? Emotion. Like passion, I guess he means, and feeling. Yes. Uh, that's, a, that's, a that's a really hard question. That's a good question, Preston. Thanks for asking that. I, I think, um, for me, it starts with a melody. A melody that means something to me. A melody that there, there have been some melodies I've written to um, that have just gotten in my soul and I can't get rid of them. And I'll use that melody as a setting, like maybe a, the setting I did for Dr. Kirby's piece. Um, that's kind of in between an arrangement and a, a, a composition. Because a lot of original stuff, but still, it's the church hymn. Um, I don't know. It's hard, hard to say. I think you can you have to think about what the, the performers can do when they get a hold of your music have you left them room to be expressive or is everybody playing all the time and playing loud all the time or is there nobody playing any of the time you know, it's only just one person you've got to leave room for the players to be able to express themselves so opening up your piece sometimes for me it can be more expressive when you have fewer people playing and things build that can be a way to be more expressive. There's no set way, though, Preston. It's, it, there's a whole bunch of different things you can do to be expressive. I think you, I think you can play a march expressively and with emotion. I mean, there's when you hear uh, uh, Slavic Farewell, that march is about uh, that march is about Russian women saying goodbye to their husbands who they'll never see again as they're in a train going to World War II. So that's an emotional setting. But it's a march. It's just a standard type march, but it's very minor and it's very forceful. And I think it's very emotional march. Is, um, is that good, Preston? I can't see you, so I guess I'm safe. Garrett wants to know uh, what music do you most enjoy composing? Uh, jazz band, concert band. I know you've done percussion ensemble, all kinds of things, or collaborating with Mr. Deese on marching band music. Oh, of course, cooperating with Mr. Deese. That's my favorite. Yeah. Who, who asked this question? Uh, Garrett. Oh, Garrett. Okay. I like them all, Garrett. I like I like jazz. I love jazz. I play a lot of jazz. I love uh, classical music, whether it's concert band or orchestra. And I love choral music. Uh, I love, uh, I just love it all. I'm just only good at writing, I don't know how you can say good, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sufficient enough to do things for jazz band and, and, and band instruments because I've been around it for so long. I mean, I devoted 40 years of my life teaching kids how to get across a break on clarinet, you know. So I know where that is, whereas a fiddle, I have no idea what would be hard and what would be easy. It would take me a long time to, to, uh, to learn that. I'd have to sit down for a couple months and, and, and learn how to play one before I could actually write and do a good job. Um, let's see here. Madeline wants to know, um, what's the most difficult part about writing a piece? I think, uh, trying to make something that's different. 
I don't, I don't want to write the same piece again. I don't want to write a piece that sounds like somebody else. So I think, you know, if you write the same piece again, why, why, why play it? If you play, if, you, if I write a piece that sounds like something another composer would have written, why play it? Just go buy his piece. I mean, it's still out there. You can get it. So I'm not real fond of trying to, I, 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 if I don't have an idea that makes my piece completely different in some way, I try not to get involved with it. And I think as a, as a director, you know, I only had limited funds and I wouldn't buy, you know, six marches by the same dude or, six pieces by the same uh, contraband co composer in grade three uh, because I want something different. And so, in fact, uh, assistant editor at, at Excelsior told me the other day, he said, the thing I like about your music is that every time you send us a piece, it's completely different than the last one. I, I don't know if he meant that was good or bad, but I took it as a compliment because that's what I'm after. You know, if, if I come up with an idea that's different, now there's parameters. You know, you go to grade one. I just just sent them a grade half piece. There's only so many piece things you can do. Kids can only play five notes. I mean, that's it. You know, what can you do with that? There's not a lot. So, so some of those pieces come out sounding the same. When I was your guys' age, and even even maybe a little bit older when I first started teaching, I'd be getting this band music. I'd be saying, "This is terrible. I know I can write better music than this for middle school band." And then so I started writing, and I'm thinking, well, no, I can't. <laughs> so I, I mean, I'm trying to. And I, I think sometimes I get some good ideas in there, but there's so many limitations. It's hard to do that. And the people that can do it, I mean, Larry does a great job with it. it it's a real, real skill to do that. Um, for, for you and uh, uh, Mr. Clark and Mr. Kiefer, when you, uh, have you ever just had to scrap it and start completely over? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lots of times. I've got, my computer's probably got 12 pieces in it. When I wrote Lanigan's Ball, which Larry published when he was at Carl Fisher, I had a deadline. They wanted to play it right after. They had to have it by the time MTA was over so they could play it for a spring uh, concert. And I had spent all this time on this piece, and it was going pretty well, I thought. And then it just fizzled out. It didn't go anywhere. It just stopped. And I worked and worked over Christmas, and I worked and worked, and... Finally said, heck with that, and I listened to this Irish thing. I'm like, wow, I love this. But I read it in like, you know, three weeks, grade five. And it, it came it came out, you know, came out pretty well. Everybody really likes it. So it sold well. So yeah, it's uh it's tough sometimes. But you have to throw it away. When I wrote with you one time, we did a, a show about Vietnam. And I did it chart on uh, God Bless the USA. We had a girl sing it with a mic and a band played behind it. I can remember finishing that chart by hand, you know, no finale back then, and taking like six pages of it and going rip and throw it in the trash. And it was great when I shortened it by six pages. Remember, it came out to be a really good chart. Yeah. But before that, it was too long and too many verses. It wouldn't have worked. Uh, speaking of that, back sort of back to the technology thing, one thing that you and I have talked about before is you know, we'll start uh, working on a piece of music and, and you'll say, hey, you know, this would be better in the key of C than B flat. Why? Uh, how never, never. <laughs> oh, I, I think okay. I might have had that backwards. Um, <laughs> why? Uh, how important is technology to being able to get that done? 
Oh, that makes it so much easier. And for kids, you know, that are just starting to write, it's really cool that they can, if they have a notepad or some some easier version that's free to write music, they can yeah. write two parts and you kind of hear how they go together before they take it to their friends and get embarrassed. So that, that, that can be helpful. But for me, yeah, I, I told y'all yesterday, yeah, I can remember Sunday afternoons writing charts, writing charts, and then going, wow, this would be so much better if I just took it up from E flat to F. And you just have to completely rewrite the whole chart, and then you got to then you got to hand copy all the parts. You know, it was it was a whole lot different thing back then. I, I do recall trying to decipher some of your uh, Sunday night. Uh, uh, script. Oh yeah, yeah, you had to write drum parts to it. <laughs> yeah, I was I was one of the only people that could read it. I don't know, I, <laughs> mine wasn't very good either, but um, still uh, isn't by the way. Do what? Still isn't very good by the way. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I can remember, um, and I shouldn't be telling these stories in front of these kids, but my third or fourth year teacher teaching, I was pretty much a hothead, and I spent my everything I everything my jazz band played, everything my marching band played, I had to write. I only had 20 kids when I started. Now we got 130 now, but when we started, when I started, I had 20 kids teaching seven through 12 by myself, and I'd have to write every chart we could play. I wrote it individually for each kid. I knew what they could do. But I can remember doing that for my jazz band for a talent show, and we had a singer. And I was, I stayed up all night doing this chart, and I was doing a jazz band rehearsal after school, and the jazz band was not focused. And I was getting so angry because I spent so much time. I took a stapler, I threw it across the room, and it, not near the kids, but it exploded, and, and all the kids are like, oh my God, oh my God. So if I did that now, I'd probably be the newspaper. But I think they, it got their focus, it got their attention. So. It was better than hitting a kid, I guess, because that, that then I'd been out. But I was pretty angry at them at all the effort I'd put in, and they weren't putting in the effort. Y'all don't do that to Mr. B, these do you? You always put in 100%, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes we do, we, we do the yelling and then the participating, and sometimes they just do it right away. Um, but having good music, I think, is what uh, band directors like myself are so appreciative of, music that stands the test of time. Uh, you know, music that, uh, that that's coming out now that's new and fresh, but you know is going to stand the test of time. And thanks, uh, Larry, for bringing us uh, new pieces and everything. I, I know it's that's a very difficult thing to do. Um, and uh, I'm trying to wind up here with uh, one more question from a student. What do you enjoy the most about composing? And I want, I, to think, tie, I want to tie this in here. I think I know what, where you're going with this. I think uh, most composers would say they love hearing their music performed live. I don't know if that's true or not, but for me, I love hearing my music play. And that's what I really like about composing. Is you have an idea, you nurse it along, you, you, you make a piece, you make it a journey, and then you hand it out to some people and they play it and they're expressive and they like it. And to me, that's just... That's okay. just incredible. Let, let me stop you there and go a step further. Is there a dip? Let's say uh, somebody was playing your piece and you uh, got into town just in time to hear it played versus you were at a, a all county or all district clinic and you got to be the one uh, well, teaching them the tune. Does that, does that investment make it even more special? Well, I'm always honored when somebody chooses to play my music and especially if they invite me to the concert. I mean, that's, that's a, 
there's a there's a lot of music comes out every year and who how people even know who i am i have no idea but just because the way larry can market me i guess but it's so much fun to hear your music play and i like much better doing a rehearsal and doing it myself but i also enjoy hearing people play i'm just really thankful that people play my music and it's obvious that they do or maybe they buy it and they don't play it i don't know but it's good that it's it's good that it's selling and there's people buying it. So uh, I love hearing people play. And if I do give them a chance, I think I forget who it was. It was Preston. Somebody asked about how do you make it expressive. Yeah. If they get a chance to be expressive and enjoy playing with some passion, whether it's a big loud moment in a piece, or something that builds, or a solo, or a, a shape and a phrase in a march. If they get to be expressive in my piece and they love that, that's that really gets me going. That makes me go want, want to go back and write another piece. Right. Uh, it reminds me, my, my German's not so good, but loosely translated, I think Beethoven might have been the one that said something about uh, a wrong note here and there is something that can be excused, but there is no excuse for playing without passion. Exactly. And that's what it's about. It's, it's about, you know, that's why it's so hard right now. It's hard to be super passionate when you're sitting in your practice room with your horn by yourself, even though maybe you're getting better or you practice scales or whatever. But it's really hard to be passionate without those people supporting you, you know, the people around you. You get swept up in it, and it, it becomes a really important moment, whether it's a rehearsal or a performance. It, it's just something that you live for. And if it ever happens to you, you know, when you're young, you get in that situation and the band's playing like that and everybody's just feeling it. It's a great piece of music. You can't wait till you get to do that again. And I know a lot of professionals that play in orchestras that never do that. And so they don't look forward sometimes. It's a, it's a paycheck. And then they go play for another conductor who insists on everybody uh, playing with passion and being expressive. And it's a whole different orchestra. You can take some of the best orchestras in the world and put somebody who gets passion out of them and somebody who doesn't. And it's a completely different set of musicians, even though individually they're, they're playing with expression. But it's just a social thing, too. It's something you've got to have. It's just something you've got to have in your heart day after day after day. Yeah, I, I, like, I like hearing Bernstein conduct Bernstein. Yeah, or Shostakovich. Bernstein conducts Shostakovich. I mean, uh, yeah, well, you know what he's doing now. Yeah, yeah got it. sorry, I had to say that. Um, so uh, um, uh, for both you guys, uh, Larry and Ed, um, excuse me, do you, um, when you finish writing a piece of music and it's all said and done, it's been published, do you ever wish you could go back and change something? Almost always. <laughs> <laughs> Almost always, especially if there's a mistake that I missed, you know. Um, but, you know, I kind of talked to Kelly in uh, Oregon, uh, I don't know, three years ago, out there at American Bank College. And uh, he said almost exactly the same thing that Paul McCartney had said just earlier, not too much earlier in an interview. He said, you know, at some point you have to quit writing the song you write and you have to finish it and start another one. You can write the same song your whole life and just quit, keep, keep tweaking it. Yeah, it might get better, but at some point you gotta you gotta let it go and start the next tune. And Kelly said it's kind of like raising kids. It's like uh, 
you've got kids that you're raising, at some point they got to go out in the world. You know, he said some some of his music goes out in the world and it makes clinics and it does really well, and others of his compositions end up in jail. So I thought it was kind of a cool way to say it. You know, some some things yeah. do go on. I mean, every piece you try to do your very best, and when it leaves your office or wherever, you think it's a good piece of music, or you wouldn't be sending it to anybody. But you know, years later, you might say, "Well, if I'd done this or that, maybe this piece would have had a little more, had more legs." You know. Um, I want to thank you guys uh, as composers, and then also Larry as a publisher, because. When I think, I'm, you know, looking at some of, my, some of my students here, and I think back to the, the things about music, and Ed, you were talking about playing with passion a minute ago or being in an orchestra and the, perhaps the repetition, you know, robbing music of some of its potential. Some of the most beautiful times in my life have been because of not just the piece of music, but the piece of music with the people I'm with at that time. And right now, that's what I'm missing during this uh, COVID-19 thing. It, it's giving me a kind of withdrawal, mm -hmm. which I think uh, is a testament to how important what you guys do is, is to us. Because without those moments, life, I, I can't imagine. And I'm getting chills. I just got chills right now thinking about uh, a particular uh, musical moment I had earlier this school year. I, I would be a different person without that. Um, so I think I think music makes us better people. I really think it makes us better people, and, and it took me a long time to figure that out. It's not just about what it seems to be on the surface, and it's not just about art. Although art makes us better people, so I agree with you 100. percent You know, 100. Um, percent I I would be dying inside if, if this if I had been the high school band director right now. Well, that's why, again, uh, I think this is a neat idea that, that we're doing something it, and it helps us sometimes just recognizing the importance of something. If we come out better in the end after all this, it will be from learning things like what we're talking about right now and, and being more introspective and, and letting things like good music, recognizing just how important that is. I think sometimes too, when you get to do it every single day, it just becomes another class like English, you know, or math. And when you're, when it's taken away from you, you realize how special that is. That time that you get to spend with your friends making music. I'd give anything right now to have a rehearsal. <laughs> when you graduate, you know, you've got, you, you have very fewer times to actually do that. And then as you get into your job and raising kids, maybe if you're not in music, then it becomes very, very seldom. So, yeah, it's, it's, it makes you appreciate it a whole lot. It makes me appreciate it. Well, guys, do we have any more questions? Madeline had asked one about what do I have to correct the most. Is that you, Madeline? Yes. Uh, uh, I have to correct all kinds of editing all the time. It's just all kinds of, like, slurs and tonguing and, and uh, sometimes Larry helps me with that. He says, hey, Ed, what do, you, what do you think about let's start this? I'm thinking, yeah, of course. We, <laughs> you know, you don't want the flutes playing this expressive packet, uh, uh, passage. <laughs> you, don't, you don't want that. So, yeah. So I think that's the biggest thing that I end up correcting is the edits. Now, there'll be wrong notes, too. In almost every piece I've got out there, there's a wrong note somewhere. I guess I need to sit down since I have some time and write a, 
uh, a guide for everybody <laughs> where all, all my wrong notes are. But what, what a coincidence. Every piece my band plays always has a wrong note in it. <laughs> yeah, well, when your band plays it, you can't tell. It's in Just the kidding, guys. <laughs> well, th thanks, David and uh, Ed, for doing this. Um, and we appreciate it because we hope that your students got something out of it. But I also think a lot of students everywhere that play Ed's music, or even if they don't, would certainly be able to get uh, a lot of good information out of this this interview. So I appreciate it. Everybody give uh, a thumbs up before we go. Thumbs up. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Larry. Thanks, Larry. Yeah, we'll see you all soon. Thank you for listening to another episode of From the Composer. If you want to hear more of these podcasts, please subscribe or go to the Excelsior Music website at excelsiormusic.com. I'm Larry Clark. Thank you for listening.